Another lively chain of hands and voices rejoined them to their baggage, settled them in a taxi, and carried them to the hotel. As Richard dropped six hundred lira pieces into the driver's hand, they seemed the smoothest, roundest, most tactfully weighted coins he had ever bestowed. The hotel desk was one flight up. The clerk was young and playful. He pronounced their names several times and wondered why they had not gone to Naples. The halls of the hotel, which had been described to them at the airport as second class, were nevertheless of rose marble. The marble floor carried into their room. This and the amplitude of the bathroom and the imperial purple of the curtains blinded Richard to a serious imperfection until the clerk, his heels clicking in satisfaction with the perhaps miscalculated tip he had received, was far down the hall. Twin beds, he said. They had always had a double bed. Joan asked, do you want to call the desk? How important is it to you? I don't think it matters. Can you sleep alone? I guess, but it was delicate. He felt they had been insulted. Until they finally parted, it seemed impertinent for anything, even a slice of space, to come between them. If the trip were to kill or cure, and this was, for the tenth time, their slogan, then the attempt at a cure should have a certain technical purity, even though, or rather all the more because, In his heart, he had already doomed it to fail. And also, there was the material question of whether he could sleep without a warm, proximate body to give his sleep shape. But what? Joan prompted. But it seems sort of sad. Richard, don't be sad. You've been sad enough. You're supposed to relax. This isn't a honeymoon or anything. It's just a little rest we're trying to give each other. You can come visit me in my bed if you can't sleep. You're such a nice woman, he said. I can't understand why I'm so miserable with you. He had said this, or something like it so often before, that she, sickened by simultaneous doses of honey and gall, ignored the entire remark and unpacked with a deliberate serenity. On her suggestion, they walked into the city, though it was ten o'clock. Their hotel was on a shopping street that at this hour was lined with lowered steel shutters. At the far end, an illuminated fountain played. His feet, which had never given him trouble, began to hurt. In the soft, damp air of the Roman winter, his shoes seemed to have developed hot inward convexities that gnashed his flesh at every stride. He could not imagine why this should be, unless he was allergic to marble. For the sake of his feet, they found an American bar, entered, and ordered coffee. Off in a corner, a drunken male American voice droned through the grooves of an unintelligible but distinctly feminine circuit of complaints. The voice, indeed, seemed not so much a man's as a woman's deepened by being played at a slower speed on the phonograph. Hoping to cure the growing dizzy emptiness within him, Richard ordered a hamburger that proved to be more tomato sauce than meat. Outside on the street, he bought a paper cone of hot chestnuts from a sidewalk vendor. This man, whose thumbs and fingertips were charred black, agitated his hand until three hundred lira were placed in it. In a way, Richard welcomed being cheated. It gave him a place in the Roman economy. The Maples returned to the hotel, and side by side, on their twin beds, fell into a deep sleep. That is, Richard assumed, in the cavernous accounting rooms of his subconscious, that Joan also slept well. But when they awoke in the morning, she told him, You were terribly funny last night. I couldn't go to sleep. And every time I reached over to give you a little pat, To make you think you were in a double bed, you'd say, go away, and shake me off. He laughed in delight. Did I really?
in my sleep? It must have been. Once you shouted, leave me alone, so loud I thought you must be awake, but when I tried to talk to you, you were snoring. Isn't that funny? I hope I didn't hurt your feelings. No, it was refreshing not to have you contradict yourself. He brushed his teeth and ate a few of the cold chestnuts left over from the night before. The maples breakfasted on hard rolls and bitter coffee in the hotel and walked again into Rome. His shoes resumed their inexplicable torture. With its strange, almost mocking attentiveness to their unseen needs, the city thrust a shoe store under their eyes. They entered, and Richard bought from a gracefully reptilian young salesman a pair of black alligator loafers. They were too tight, being smartly shaped, but they were dead. They did not pinch with the vital, outraged vehemence of the others. Then the maples, she carrying the Ashet guidebook, and he his American shoes in a box.